and welcome to episode 61 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, March 18, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good over here. How are things in your corner of San Francisco? Not too bad. A little, little drizzly, a little cold, but you know, still... I guess it's middle of March. Fairly typical. Yeah, I don't need, mind it at all. Yeah, we need the rain, so. It's precipitation of yes. some kind. <laughs> exactly. So we have kind of an exciting episode for you. No, it is a super exciting episode and you are going to love it. We will have On the Needles, On the Easel. On the Table is going to blow your mind. We'll have both On the Fly, remember that, from early pandemic, are we all nostalgic, and a cookbook review, and then On the Nightstand. Wait, what? I didn't get the memo about on the fly. Oh, it's it's just a me thing. Okay, good. <laughs> now you know. Well, I, I do have something for on the fly. Actually, oh, cool. Now that you mention it. All right. So on the table is going to be huge. So we should get to it. Before we do, we did want to make a statement. It should be able to go without saying, but I fear that it doesn't. And I think that it's important for us to say that we condemn the violence by men against women. And in this particular climate, the tragedy in England and in Atlanta and against Asian Americans all over the country, it shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be. And so our hearts go out to all of you that have been affected by this. I mean, San Francisco has a huge Asian community, obviously. And so We've been hearing about this from our friends and that it's gotten this bad is just ridiculous and unbelievable and, and yet not. Yeah. And so it's, it has been a tough week again <laughs> in a series of tough weeks and hopefully someday this, we can have this stop happening, but we did want to take a moment to recognize that, that it did again happen. And while we have a lot of thoughts about it, we're still sort of processing and trying to understand as best we can. Future Monica here. It has only been six days since we recorded, but I find myself having to add an addendum to our statement. Our hearts go out to the people of Boulder, and gosh, I am getting tired of this. Can we please get some gun control? Thank you. So, back to our regularly scheduled program. On the needles. Should we start with a sock madness update? Oh my gosh, yes, please. Because <laughs> we are Especially in the madness. Because March Madness basketball starts today, doesn't it? Or I don't tomorrow? know. I don't know. Yes. We're not basketball people. We are sock madness people, though, or at least I am. And your friend is too. So we've been chatting about that and sharing sock pictures and whatnot. So that was fun. Courtney was chatting with one of her other friends who was also a knitter and dragged her into the, the sock madness as well. So that was, that's been fun. So anyway, sock madness. When last we recorded, they had released the specs, so we knew what we needed for the socks, but we didn't know when we were going to get the pattern. They went the full 48 hours minus like 15 minutes. So that was kind of stressful. So the pattern actually came to me at one in the morning. Obviously, I wasn't knitting it then, but I woke up Saturday morning, patterned waiting for me, had a full weekend to work on it. I'm really glad that I took a break from the madness for a couple of years, and I'm super excited to be back because this was fantastic pattern to start. I looked at it and thought, this 
is bonkers. Like if this is the beginning pattern, I am in big, big trouble. <laughs> However, it turned out not so bad. So that was exciting. Um, and I ended up really liking it. So the pattern is called Senbon Zakura by Natalia Vasilieva. And she is known as Skein Charmer on Ravelry. And she has done a lot of late round and final round patterns in Sock Madness. So really intricate socks. So a lot of people were a little bit worried about how complex this pattern would be. And it did look complex and there definitely have been issues because it is not standard, but that is the joy of Sock Madness. So the yarn I used was from Yarn Love, her Juliet base in Fable, which is a fairly pale pink with little speckles of a darker pink. And there's a little bit of yellow in there. It's really pretty. It was solid enough to handle all the patterning because there are twisted ribs and there's a smocking stitch to make flowers. And then there's beads in the center of the flowers. And then the heel design is really cool. There's a a cable that runs down the back of the sock and then goes into a, it's like an expansion heel. It's not a standard heel, but the design continues from the back and then continues into the heel design, which is really cool. It stays on the toes. The patterning continues. It was beautiful. Really interesting to see how everybody's mind works. I mean, the designer has a, a way that their mind works that writing the pattern they understand. And obviously you try and make the pattern accessible to everyone, but sometimes it just does not make sense to you. And that's just how your brain works. And I had a couple of those moments. Luckily they are uh, the moderators and the pattern designer are always online and available to answer questions and help work through things as are all the other contestants. So usually by going through and reading the threads on Ravelry, I'm able to, to figure things out. And that was the case this time. It was really, it was great. And I worked on it. So I started it on Saturday and I finished it the following Sunday. And that was without working on it constantly. It was a fairly easy knit. Once you got going, the pattern was pretty, pretty obvious. It turned out beautifully. I'm super excited by the whole experience. So it was a little worried at the beginning. I feel much better about things now. One of those ones that you look at and think, oh, this is just not going to work. And it totally did. So so I've now had a week of just waiting around tomorrow. Well, so I guess at 1 a.m. tomorrow, uh, we're down to the last few. Oh, no. Today's Thursday. Whatever. Time. <laughs> Time has no meaning anymore, as you all know. So I guess we have two days, day and a half left for people to get their finished socks in. And then they have to sort everyone into teams and make sure the team emails are working and then release the specs for the first round sock. And then we have to wait and then we'll have another sock. So, I mean, maybe a week from now, I should have another, another sock to be working on. We shall see. There's no telling. Sometimes they just need a little break. It always depends on when the, the designer is available, but that was super exciting. Senban Zakura by Natalia Vasilieva. And that one, I don't think you can get now unless you're part of Sock Madness, but in June, I believe once it's over, they all become available if the designers choose to make them available. That's great. I didn't know you could get them after the fact, all the patterns. Yeah, you cannot get them until after the madness. They're only available for the madness participants. Good. I think that's great. Yeah. And, and I'd kind of forgotten this when you finish a pattern, you get a bonus pattern because there are people that will finish the first pattern in two days and then 
they want to give them something to do. So that we got another pattern that was also super beautiful, another flower design, but a different method of making flowers on the sock. So I'm not quite that committed to knitting socks at this point in my life. I don't think I've ever actually done any of the bonus patterns as a bonus pattern at that time. I like to have a little break in between, but it is a gorgeous looking pattern and and I look forward to knitting it at some point. So that was exciting. And then after I finished it, I was kind of not in a knitting mood. I thought I'd be ready to get right back into my Shan by Elizabeth Doherty, the sweater that I was knitting and finish that up. And I took I actually took a couple days, which I found kind of interesting. I did a bunch of reading and did some TV watching maybe some baking. So that was kind of interesting to, to see, but you know, I went with it, but I did get back to my Shan. I have still not quite finished it. I have been working on it a bit. I'm mostly done, but I think I'm going to run out of yarn. So I might just have to rip it all back. So I haven't looked at it this morning. I was working on it last night and I was like, Oh, that, that yarn is getting really, really low. So I don't know what I think is going to happen if I leave it, that maybe the yarn will spontaneously increase in amount and um if only right <laughs> it would be great so I've got to figure out I'm I, yeah I've got to look at it I'm kind of thinking I should try it on see how close I am like if if I'm going to even have enough if I rip it back and do the straight crop version because I am I did decide to do the a-line version the sweater the top is the same for both sweaters and then you can choose to have the bottom which is just straight plain knitting you can do it as an a-line version or a shorter cropped version i would rather have the a-line one i think but i just might not have enough yarn i just got to figure out if i have enough yarn to even do the one that requires less yarn so that all seems very very much like work it's not knitting so it, it, it sits there and thinks about what it's doing for a while probably you know i'll probably get to it this afternoon but and then i did actually pull out my bautista shawl because I had like a quiet half hour with nothing going on and I didn't feel like just doing stockinette. I wanted something with a little little thought process going on. So this was a shawl by Celia McAdam Cahill um, and we got the pattern and the yarn last, oh no gosh, two years ago. No, it was last year for our yarn retreat that we didn't get to go on and we don't get to go on it this year, which is very sad, but we did get, we had already ordered the yarn and the pattern last year. So we did have those. So the yarn is from Invictus Yarns and it's the Yak Lux in a kind of tealy colorway. So it's lovely. It's fun to work with. The pattern is nice, but it does, it's not terribly complicated, but you do have to follow the pattern. It's, it's got a lace edging. So that does take some paying attention to, but sometimes you want to have your brain invested in your knitting and having to pay attention. And sometimes you don't, but I did. So pulled that back out. And I kind of feel like that is my pulling something out of the drawer of mystery project for this month. It hasn't been in there very long. It's kind of been in and out, but you know, I did start it last year and it's been sitting around for a while. So it would be good to finish that up because I do have some new yarn that came in and a pattern and I want to start on that. And I was like, well, I should probably finish that. Although it is my knitting and my rules, so I could do whatever I want, but I do I do want to have this this one done at some point. So I feel like I'm getting a New Year's resolution accomplished with this, and I'll get a beautiful shawl out of it. And it made my brain think, which is not a bad thing. And that is all the knitting. It's been fairly monogamous on the socks. Well, it is sock season. 
True. Very true. So what is on the easel? Well, actually, there's been some stuff on the sewing machine that I want to tell you about first. Exciting. So my friend Kelly is here from Boston. And Kelly is staying with us because, you know, it takes a lot to get somebody cross country these days. So she's working remotely from here. And it is fabulous because there's a lot of testosterone in my house. And so it's really nice to have a girlfriend, full stop. And since things have opened up a little bit, we were able to go to a couple of our local fabric stores and pick up some material for some projects that Kelly was dreaming about. And so we made, I, I want to call it a comforter. She thinks it's more of a quilt for her bed. She found this gorgeous woven purple and white check for the top. And then we put a store-bought quilt in the middle, like a, a thin quilt, coverlet type quilt. And then the back side is a really fun pattern with a border all the way around that sort of wraps around. So I guess it's quilted. It's all done on the machine, but I use my serger a ton because the top fabric is, it's kind of an upholstery fabric, double-sided, like you either side is the right side. And so when you cut it, it would just sort of unravel itself. So I was able to surge all the edges and on the whole, it just made the whole thing feel so much more professional and it weighs a ton. I don't know how she's going to sleep under it. It's like sleeping under a rock, but she likes that kind of weighted blanket feel. We have been laying it out on the carpet and then rolling it up and sewing it on the kitchen island. And we just finished that yesterday. It's a two-person job because it's so heavy. So that has been a fun project using the new machine and really getting to know it. And it's so fast. It's great. I also put, this is another like very exciting adult project around the house and you feel so accomplished kind of a project. I put new foam in the seats of a pair of chairs in the living room. Ooh. (laughs) Right? Live in the dream, Courtney. I know it. The seat cushions are down wrapped foam. So there's this down outer and then there's a foam in the middle. And the foam was so sad that I didn't even know there was foam in there until I took the chairs apart. So I managed to wrangle a piece of foam into each seat cushion and they are much more comfortable now. And I wish I had done it a full year ago. I ordered the foam off the internet. So there's no excuse about fabric stores being closed. It's just taken me that long to do it. But it's shocking how things like that make a big difference when it's still, you know, relatively quiet around here. Things aren't totally open and life isn't back to normal. I don't know what normal is anymore, but you know, we're, we're still going to be here and enjoying our home for a good while more. So I'm glad to do these kinds of easy projects. It took me an hour, by the way, to do the foam. That's why I'm kicking myself. It was pretty quick. (laughs) Of course it did. Yeah. That's how these things work. So on the easel, I'm still not showing much of anything with my abstract stuff, but I'm working on these really big sheets of paper. They're like poster sized, I guess. Where I'm at right now is that the paper doesn't hold all of the paint. It's not thick enough. So I'm trying to decide 
do I find thicker paper or is it time to move to canvas? And that feels risky because it's canvas or do I wanna work on wood panel? So all of the layers that I'm trying to build in these semi-abstract pieces are just too heavy for paper. So that's what's happening with the, my explorations. And I also painted a pair of jungle animals for an auction. I'm donating this framed set to a school auction for a cousin. And I have to show you the sloth because I am in love with the sloth. Monica's speechless. He's, a, <laughs> he's adorable. Technical he difficulties. Great, he has such a great expression. He does. So, there was a, a video that I saw yesterday on some sort of social media of like a sloth on a speedboat going down a river and he's dragging his hand in the water and watching them wake. <laughs> and he had that same kind of expression, which is adorable. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm smitten with the sloth. I also drew a jaguar, but it still needs a little bit more work. So, Oh, very handsome. So jungle pear going to auction and it made me recall all of our auction days, you know, speaking of wrangling stuff and I don't miss that one bit. So I'm happy to contribute for the cousins. You don't have to buy it back. I know. Hopefully not. My husband once bid on a piece of art that I made with, or that the students made and I had coordinated the whole thing and my husband bought it (laughs) at auction, which was not the point but anyway it was a little bit the point yes but I would have rather it had gone to another household anyway and we're trying to at the it's super late it's middle of March we still haven't decided on our March gouache grid so we've been auditioning little chairs or postage stamps to see which one we want to do which means that I'm going to have like 10 days to fill in the whole grid for March. And I love that project because I do that. I do that one with Daria, who is heyhooray.com. And it's always really fun to see how different our interpretations are. We did mushrooms for February and I jokingly call mine the pastel librarians and hers were 80s rock stars. It's just, it's funny. So I'm excited to see what we're what we're going to paint for March. Yeah, that's what's on the easel. Good stuff. On the table, we are moving right along. I think things are going to slow down a little here. (laughs) So I think for March, and I can't remember if I did anything last time, but I think March is polenta month. Again, not, you know, grain that I've used before, but let's see how I can incorporate it in different ways. And again, my children don't really like polenta, so bummer for them. But such such as life. So I made the mushroom polenta pie. I hope yours was more photogenic than mine. Uh, did I take a picture of it? It was not. I mean, well, boy two said it looks like the sun because I got a nice brown top on it because you broil it at the end. It was just enough for the four of us with a salad. We totally finished it all. I feel like it either needed to be bigger or we needed something more with it. It was just enough, but a little bit more would have been good, but it was delicious. Despite the fact that I thought I had polenta in the cupboard and I only had cornmeal. Same, same. 
So, uh, but I think the polenta is a little bit coarser grind. The cornmeal I had was pretty finely ground. Oh, I guess mine is just coarse ground cornmeal, but it's yeah. the, so it, it yeah, worked. I guess it would just be a texture thing, not a flavor thing. Correct. And I think okay. a, a, like a cooking time thing and just, anyway, it, it, it did end up working out and it was a very simple recipe. I thought it was more complicated, but like there weren't that many ingredients in it. The cheesy business in the polenta was fantastic. The mushrooms were great. Yeah, it was it was a it was a winner in my house, and it looked like the sun. In retrospect, I think I might have had more mushrooms than it called for, but I don't know that it was double. You know, I think I just yeah. had some extra mushrooms. I did actually have a little bit less. I think I didn't buy quite enough, but it was good. I had it in kind of a deep dish nine inch pan. Mm-hmm. And it was filled up to the top with between, you know, all of the, the polenta and the mushrooms. So, yeah. So I liked that. And then for pie day, I made the lemon cream pie that was delicious. And that was from my flourless cookbook. So it's all sort of naturally gluten-free recipes. They use almond flour. This one was a almond flour and shredded coconut crust for the tart. I almost made the chocolate one that you made, but then I... I don't know. I wasn't feeling chocolatey. I was feeling lemony. I think because when I was choosing the pie, it was sort of a spring-like day and the lemon seemed more appropriate. And then actual pie day was more wintry. It was delicious. It was a little tricky getting the whole thing out of the tin. I felt very Great British Baking Show. I had the like a, a mug out there. I was trying to pop it down and I think it just needed to sit for a minute and kind of be out of the fridge and loosen up a little bit. Um, and I did lose part of the crust, but it still was tasty. And I don't think I cooked it quite long enough. The crust, you pre-bake it and then let it cool because it was a little bit mushy still, but overall delicious. Then we had St. Patrick's Day. So I did my corned beef and potatoes and cabbage and shamrock cookies and soda bread and all that good stuff. So it was fun. And then the other thing I've been cooking out of is East by Mira Soda, uh, which we... We're talking about doing for our next review, but we have found a different one. So next time I will talk about all the recipes I've been making from East because it is fantastic. (laughs) They are all vegetarian or vegan recipes from kind of all the Asian countries. We got, she's Indian, so it's a lot of Indian ones, but also Vietnamese and Thai and China and Japan and so much flavor so good. And it's, it's a beautiful cookbook. I just haven't gotten my hands on it yet. I mean, I've seen pictures online, but yeah. And that's the one I, I posted the, the picture of it on Instagram where I had marked the recipes that I was sort of immediately interested in making. (laughs) It's like half the book was marked. I kind of had to choose not to do the ones that were super squash heavy and had kind of a fall feel. So I'm sure I'll be coming back to those, but I've had like all the asparagus ones have been happening and it's been pretty exciting. So that is what I have been working on. Oh, and then on the fly, that was, sorry, that was my thing. And this is kind of how we found our next book. So on the fly was our fun things to do in early quarantine. And this felt very, (laughs) very early quarantine. So it was a, Julia Turchin has a new cookbook out called Simply Julia. And I am a fan of hers. I've two of her other books. She lives in upstate New York. Her new cookbook is healthy comfort food. And she takes healthy in a very sort of non-traditional way. 
more about making you feel good and not necessarily counting calories or whatnot. So anyway, so she's doing a cookbook tour virtually. Um, this was out of the Book Larder, which is a cookbook bookstore in Seattle. And she was in conversation with Deb Perlman, who is Smitten Kitchen, who if you've listened to this at all, you know, we adore. So it was super fun to hear them talk. The Wi-Fi kept going out. <laughs> so it was very, you know, so it was the two of them on Zoom and the Wi-Fi kept going out, but they had such a lovely conversation. You know, they, they were talking about kind of their thoughts on cooking, how you can love to cook and be a great home cook, but not always want to do it. And how the concept of, you know, great cooking has to be a lot of work. And that's just not true. You can do a fabulous meal and it's not, not a lot of work. Yeah. And she also is a big fan of a margarita. So I, I respect that. <laughs> and she had her dogs on there. Her wife made an appearance. So it was just really sweet. And it's one of those cookbooks where there's a lot of essays in there. So, you know, you can just curl up and read it besides some really tasty sounding recipes. So I think that one is going to be our next one in a, in a few months. We haven't quite decided, but I'm looking forward to working my way through that as well. And if you did want to see this interview, I believe they have posted it on their YouTube channel. Uh, it was oh, fun. I was wondering about that. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. Cause they were, they were really adorable. We've been cooking a ton out of the sheet pan cookbook, but I have a few things that don't fall into those pages. You know, I was talking last time about how I am obsessed with the Peruvian fire roasted chicken. And I don't have an oven to fire roast or wood roast a chicken, but the flavor is so good. So I've been trying out different recipes to achieve that similar depth of flavor. And I have a new one for people that will be in the show notes. We also made a, a new batch of fried rice that we serve with the chicken. I know I'm mixing up cultures here, but that's how it goes. And that is such a crowd pleaser with the, the whole family. Lots of peas in it and pretty simple, but satisfying. Uh, my friend Kelly made an awesome, awesome homemade macaroni and cheese. It was supposed to be buffalo chicken mixed into it. And I thought that I had the right seasoning for that, that Frank's red hot sauce. That sounds amazing. It was amazing. And the kids loved it. And they are like total Annie's box macaroni and cheese kids, but they ate it and it has breadcrumbs on top. And uh, I, I don't know that I've converted them, but it was a fairly, fairly admirable effort. And then for pie day... We made chicken pot pie because, uh, as usual, I forgot that it was chicken pot pie day. So was that and a surprise? Yeah. You like came up with that on, on the fly because we had chatted earlier in the day and you said you were taking scones out and I was, or I, I don't know, I was like, here's my pie. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm taking scones out. I'm like it's pie day. Yeah. You did not mention so, chicken pot pie. <laughs> so then we, you know, hopped to it and made chicken pot pie. Okay. Ta-da. Very good. Nice recovery. Thank you. I love the, I know, I love the Barefoot Contessa. I think she calls it, I don't think she calls it pot pie. Hers is more like a chicken and dumplings recipe. And instead of the dumplings, I did, we did a, a really simple pie crust from my new pie cookbook that I got for Christmas. It calls for a little bit of cornstarch in the pie crust, 
and white vinegar. So it smells a little vinegary when you're rolling it out, but it was super tender, flaky, gorgeous crust, butter crust. So that was our pie day effort. And then my on the fly, not nearly as fun as Monica's, well, depends, is a new, very light cocktail. We are loving those Cara Cara oranges. We were looking at recipes for what to make with them. And I found some orange curacao. I think that's what it is. And I actually, my first thought was, oh, I want to paint that bottle. It was such a beautiful bottle. And then in the end, we ended up drinking a little bit of it. So it's a splash of, I'm going to get this recipe wrong. I think there might be some ginger simple syrup in it too. So curacao, there was a ginger cocktail in the Chronicle and we made the syrup and mixed the cocktail, but it wasn't, I didn't love it so, so much because I was after the orange for, with the caracaras. And so we used the simple syrup with the curacao and a lot of club soda and a wedge of orange. And that has been just a really fun, easy, very light cocktail. So that is my on the fly. I'll have to write up the recipe for the orange or the ginger syrup too for people. But, and then the rest is all sheep hand suppers. Excellent. Yeah. So this is a book that I have had since at least 2015. When did it come out? 2014. 2014. Yeah. So I've definitely had this for a while and I've really enjoyed it. I was kind of going through in preparation for this. I did do a couple of new recipes, but I went through to remind myself what we had made. I've made a lot of things and there are definitely some of my go-to recipes are in here. So I'm excited to talk about it. And then it was funny, we were doing that and I was mentioning it to my mom and she texted me, hey, one of her recipes was just in my local paper's recipe section <laughs> this weekend. So I don't know, there's some sort of zeitgeist going on with it and everyone likes it. Well, it caught my eye when I was in a painting fever a couple months ago. And I thought, I just need some quicker way to get dinner on the table. My favorite time to paint is from two to six, which is, you know, coincidentally the time when I should be throwing together something for dinner. So I was looking for something, one pan, one pot. How do I, you know, make all of this happen? And this was in my library queue or something like that. And when it came in, I thought, oh, great. I had forgotten that you owned it. We might've even talked about it. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, you, you said, hey, we were talking about new books and you were like, hey, what about this one? I just got it and I was like, oh, I own that. It's fabulous. Let's do it. Yeah. So you've made nearly everything from this thing by this point, right? I haven't. I, so I was looking at it. So it's got different sections. It has an appetizer section. I think I have not cracked that section at all. I've done probably most of the chicken recipes, I got to say, although I haven't done them in a while. Some of the fish, some of the meats, the side dishes, not so much. The desserts, not so much. I don't even know that I realized it was in there, but I have done some of the brunch ones that have, that have been pretty good. And uh, uh, the vegetarian ones I've been dipping into. So what were some of your favorites? The absolute most fun one that we, that I made while, since Kelly's been here at least, was the coconut shrimp with spicy orange dipping sauce. Mm. 
It's in the appetizer section. It is super easy. You basically flour, flour, egg, and breadcrumb, the shrimp, and then you bake them off. And there's a nice sauce that goes with it. Molly Gilbert calls for mixing the flour and the breadcrumbs together. And then you're just egging it and coating it all in one go. I got better results. I got better coverage if I floured it first, then egged and breadcrumbed it. Yeah, that's more traditional, right? It is. And it's, you know, one step more, but I prefer the crispier coating. So that worked. It was fine for me. And I am such a cheater. I take the tail right off the shrimp. Like I don't even bother with it. And then you can just eat the whole shrimp. You don't have the fiddly tail to deal Mm. with. So nobody around here minds. They were, it was completely devoured. We didn't have a single leftover. That was a really fun night. And then the other one that I made, one of the first ones that I made was the pesto chicken turnovers, which I attempted. I knew I was going to need a double recipe because I have all these boys. And I made one batch with store-bought puff pastry and one batch with my go-to empanada dough really different results. You know, of course the store-bought puff pastry was gorgeous and buttery and wonderful, but the empanada one was a little more satisfying and slightly healthier. I don't even know if that can be. (laughs) Was it though? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That one I made, I made it, boy two was having a sleepover. So the friend was going to be here for dinner and I was trying to do something slightly different from the normal, just order a pizza because the rest of us all had to eat. So I made those and his friend loved them. And I got a, an email the next morning from his mom saying, hey, can I have that recipe? Cause he will not stop talking about it. <laughs> so yes. That's terrific. Favorite across multiple households, not even yes. the stars. But yeah, but it is a uh, gluten and meat. So it has not made a reappearance anytime yeah. recently in my house. Yeah, I don't know how to help you with that. No, there's no. I mean, I guess I could try making a dough with gluten-free flour. I'm not sure how well that would work. And then there's still the chicken issue. Well, speaking of the poultry issue, I also made the turkey meatballs. They're they're a baked turkey meatball with slow roasted tomatoes. And I should have had three times the tomatoes because I forget how they sort of caramelize and compact. Yeah. (laughs) That turkey meatball recipe though is super simple. It's really easy to incorporate into like a spaghetti night. Yeah. So we liked that one. What else did you make? Some of the new ones that I made, oh, I do have that on here, is baked sweet potatoes with cannellinis and baby spinach. So, you know, like a a baked potato, but you're using sweet potatoes and then white beans and spinach. And I think there was, oh, um, and like golden raisins in there. So a little, even a little more sweetness, I guess you could probably leave them out, but I think my kids like that to contrast with the the beans and the spinach and the overtly healthy nature of it. So that was pretty good. You know, it's a pretty easy and familiar recipe, but with those little twists to make it a little different. But then I messed around with baked polenta. Oh, that was the polenta one that I did. So there were two recipes in here. There was one for cheesy baked polenta that I think was in the side dish. And then she had a recipe for shrimp and polenta. So I had to kind of mix and match those recipes and separate things out. So it wasn't in the end, I just very much more complicated. I did use two sheet pans instead of just one. I did not make the prosciutto twill 
which was very sad, but that seemed very fussy and I didn't really want to, but it would probably be delicious. And that involved slow roasted tomatoes as well. So it was a nice combo. So I did the polenta and the tomatoes on one pan and then the shrimp on another and combined them for those that wanted them combined. And then I think I had one of those baked tofu saucy things that you can get. And I added that. So it worked out really well. And I think you add enough cheese to the polenta, my children will be less cranky about it. So do your vegetarians eat fish and shellfish? Nope. Oh yeah. No, just, just vegetables. Okay. Yeah. One of the new ones I tried was the tofu and snap peas with peanut sauce and her chicken and baby broccoli with spicy peanut sauce has been one of my favorites. Although potentially the smitten kitchen peanut sauce has replaced it. It's a different feel, Um, but both of these were really good and just a good peanut sauce. And then, I mean, seriously, putting it all in a sheet pan is just fantastic. Dump the sauce on, it's great. Absolutely. It's so easy. (laughs) Yeah. And I was using them a lot when the children still went to soccer practice and, you know, I could prep it before we went and stick it back in the fridge and then whoever was home, I'd be like, okay, half an hour before we get back, stick this in the oven. And then by the time we get home and, you know, kid gets showered, it's all ready to go. Because otherwise it's, you know, just another, whatever, 45 minutes before we all eat. And that's, that's not good for anyone. Right. So I really like that. And the kids can do it too. Like, right. You know, they can turn on an oven and stick a pan in theoretically. Yeah, thank you. One of the other ones that we really liked was that honey orange shrimp with bok choy. Oh yeah, I made that one too. That was one of my new ones. How do you get, and it calls for leaving to quarter the bok choy the long way, but I felt like they were still really stringy. So next time I think I would cut them on an angle like you do with asparagus, you know, like Mm, a julienne. Yeah, Yeah, I did. It was a little, little weird texture. Yeah, but it was very fast. We loved the honey orange and almost all of us will eat shrimp. So that makes it easy. Yeah. I think I, that one, I had two pans as well. And I did plain tofu and just baked it with the sauce Oh, great! and the bok choy and then a shrimp and bok choy pan for the mm-hmm. rest of us. And then I kind of did a combo, which is usually how I do it because I like eating less meat. Whereas my kids will any sort of animal protein they're very excited about. Yeah. And I'm not totally willing to give it up yet, but yeah, we did the pork chops too with the warm apple cabbage slaw. And I think I just had the pork chops were a little too thick. So next time I'd go a little thinner on that, but because it had such great flavor, I used all the, there, we had a couple leftover pork chops and that's what I incorporated into the fried rice that we did with the roasted chicken. I love it when that happens. That's just, I just like using up what we, on the rare occasion when I have leftovers. Yes. In in August, 2015, we had good success with the Chinese five spice pork chops with nectarines. Apparently my children approved of them. So um, it was six years ago. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I make notes. That's how I know. That one was nice. I think my, and my notes that I used uh, pork tenderloin instead of the chops and just mm. slice. Oh, did I actually slice them? I can't remember what I did. So either I put the the spice rub on the outside and just cook the whole thing off or I, like slice them into. That's a great idea. And I kind of had to play with the cooking times a little bit because 
obviously boneless is going to cook faster than something with a bone in. Right. Um, but yeah, the nectarines with the five spice was a really nice combo. That was a good one from back in the day. I made one recipe just for myself. <laughs> what was that? The pear and almond oven oatmeal. Oh, that one's good. One. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I made the whole tray. No one nobody else wanted want, it? Nobody wanted any part of it. Oh, my people ate that up. Yeah. I think they saw me putting the almond milk in and they just weren't interested. I think my husband might have had some for dessert one night and then he wasn't interested once it was cold. I know, just warm it up. Yeah. So it was in a giant container in the fridge and it was my breakfast for 10 days, I think. I mean, it oh. was just... That's delicious. It was great. I was, yeah. As I was going through, I saw that and I was like, I need to make that again because that was really good. The other breakfast one that I love is the Dutch baby pancake, which you make in a sheet pan. It's so good. And I think it says, I don't know, serves eight to 10 as part of a spread or four people in my house. <laughs> it says serves eight generously, 16 fairly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For breakfast. Yeah. Cause we will go That's through awesome. that. Awesome. Um, and she suggests that one uh, use Meyer lemons, definitely the zest and some sugar on the top to finish it. I don't remember if there's actual juice. I don't know that I've ever actually done it with the lemon, but it's delicious on its own and makes a ton. So that's always good. Another one of my favorites is the fancy tuna melts. Ooh, I didn't yeah, make those. Those are really, I mean, if you like tuna melts, they're quite delicious. And she puts capers in them and tops them. I think she's got sun-dried tomatoes as well, obviously cheese. And I think she puts like a little arugula salad thing on top, like you guys do with the pizza. You get that that zing at the end. I think yeah. there's also potato chips involved, salt and vinegar potato chips. So I do I will do a little bit of a mix and match with more potato chips for the children, less green, or their green will be on the side. Right. But I really like those. Those are definitely ones that you can prep ahead and just have the kids throw in. And, and so those are really good. And the grilled cheese as well works quite well. I think I've talked about that before. You know, if you want to do grilled cheese, standing around making grilled cheese for everybody one at a time in a cast iron is takes a while. So I don't know that it takes any less time necessarily because you are baking them off in the oven, but it's less work. You just stick them in there, then you pull them out, flip them, stick them back in. So yeah. I really like that. Well, the the creme de la creme around here, at least, was the raspberry and white chocolate scone, which I baked on Pi Day. Pi Day. <laughs> How are those? Let's put it this way. I did a double batch, and I think they lasted until the next morning. So they wow. were so long. Devoured, devoured. It's just a few, it's just a handful of white chocolate chips in there. And it just made them just completely delicious. It was a little bit hard to manage the fresh berries in the dough because the dough is, you know, it's scone, scone dough. dough is, so yeah. I wasn't sure how to. So some pockets were jammier than others, but not really any complaints. No. I mean, there's That's super... good to know, though, because I, I, I haven't really gone into any of the baking recipes. I felt like if I wanted a, a baked recipe, I'd go to a baking book and not necessarily the sheet pan book. I don't know, because usually you bake stuff on sheet pans anyway. So, right. But there are right. some tasty sounding. There was a, like a chocolate sheet cake and, oh, there was a cannoli 
roulade. the cannoli roulade. That I wanted delicious. to make that too. Yeah. I haven't made that one yet. And I want to do the apple galette. I think that will yeah. happen maybe this weekend. Did you see the lasagna at Hasselbeck potatoes? I did. And it inspired me to make Hasselback potatoes one night, but I didn't do the lasagna ones. Yeah, I remember those being pretty delicious. A lot of work. If you don't know Hasselback potatoes, you do lots of tiny little slices through a baking potato almost all the way through. And then you bake it and it's kind of like a giant French fry slices, right? Because you get the crispiness and the tender. And to that, she added like tomato sauce and ricotta and all the lasagna things. So it was, was, you know, kind of like a baked potato, but a little different. Um, Delicious, very delicious, but a lot of work. It it was a lot of work and that's why I just hassle-backed them instead. Fair enough. You could do a regular baked potato and then lasagna it up. And that would probably be less work and equally delicious and a little different, which is, as we have discussed, I like. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else you want to share from this book? No, I did the eggplant with chickpeas as well. And that was delicious. And again, it was just enough for us. So that was something that we needed to make sure we had extra or, you know, something else to serve it with. But overall, I think the serving sizes are pretty good. You know, I generally just double things unless it looks like it's already really a lot. But overall, I think it's pretty pretty generous servings. But yeah, I know it's definitely been one of my favorites that I always come back to six years now. So I think it's it's a great concept for, uh, I just need a quick dinner, but I want it to be tasty, which is nearly every night. (laughs) Um, If we're being honest. Yeah. I think there are some good shortcuts in there and it's, it's a reminder that things can all go in together and that the oven is magic you know, it will roast and impart flavor in a different way than trying to cook stovetop. And so, yeah, I liked it. I'm really glad that, that we uh, delved into it. Yeah, no, it's definitely a favorite. Every once in a while, I'm like, do we really need to do that? Like, is that really making my life easier? But with some things like the grilled cheese, it definitely, definitely works for me. And then some of them, yeah, just throwing it all on there and cooking it together is a great way to do it. So I would recommend checking it out. Me too. And you need a roll of parchment paper for the whole. <laughs> that makes the cleanup extremely snappy. So then our next one, we'll be doing Simply Julia by Julia Tertian at some point. Courtney still needs to get the book, so. We get right on <laughs> no, it. No, no rush. We have plenty of time. Time is never ending, it seems. But for now, on the nightstand, books, books, books. So first I had another book club book I was not super excited about, but everybody else loved it. So we had a good discussion and that is really what it's all about. Uh, Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. Did not finish. You didn't? Nope. Yeah. Well, so it was interesting. Like I had started it years ago and was like, nope, putting it down. And there were several people in the book group. And I think, uh, did I say this? I don't know. Several people in the book group and they had the same experience. And there were a couple people that there was maybe one person who had loved it beforehand when we were talking about it like the month before. So we came back to it and everyone had finished it. And there were a couple people that loved it. And there were some people that were going to put it down again and pushed on through and ended up really liking it. And I think I was the only one who held, for, <laughs> held firm with, nope, this is not the book for me. 
and I'm cool with you guys liking it. I get why you liked it. You know, there were moments when I was reading it and his writing was really great. It's like, that is a really cool turn of phrase. I like that imagery. There was just nobody in that book was a good character. There was no positive representation of anybody, really. There was nothing I could grab onto. And it's episodic. It's a picaresque novel. So like Don Quixote, little episodes. So there wasn't even really a plot to grab onto. I feel like if I could have had one of those things, like a character or some redeeming quality or a plot, I could have maybe got into it more, but I don't know. So anyway, so it takes place in New Orleans in, I want to say the 60s, but it wasn't published till 81. And then it won a Pulitzer and it's a comedic triumph. I don't know. Anyway, this is what people say. So New Orleans, this guy, Ignatius Riley, awful man, lives with his mom. He's waiting for her outside of a store. The police start hassling him. He and his mom are upset about this encounter. They go to a bar and get drunk. And then she crashes the car. So they need money to pay for the building repair. So he has to go get a job and he hasn't ever worked. He spent eight years at college and now he doesn't work. So she's like, dude, you got to go get a job. So it's kind of the jobs he gets and what he does there is this very weird philosophy of life based on Boethius, who is a medieval philosopher. It's like, it's such a weird book. And it's just, it was just not for me. But as I said, a lot of people in the group ended up really liking it. Definitely could not be written today. It was not at all politically correct, but they do insult everyone. So it's not, no one is without problems. So I can kind of respect that. It was not my book. The other thing I was talking to my husband about it, that it had reminded me, I was like halfway through, I was like, this really reminds me of Don Quixote, which I also put down because I didn't like. And one of my husband's favorite books is Tortilla Flats by John Steinbeck, which is like a retelling of Don Quixote. And I read that or tried to read it early in our relationship because it's one of his favorites. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't like this one. <laughs> so I feel like this is definitely not the style for me. I have a similar problem with my husband trying to tell me that Dune is the greatest book ever written. And I refuse to go there as well. That's, that's a much bigger commitment to make. <laughs> this was not that long. So what I had to do to get myself through this book, because it was a slog. It was just a slog. And it's like, I want to, I want to finish it. I want to find out what's going on. So for the last, I don't know, half of the book, I was like, all right, I'm going to read a chapter. And then I'm going to go read a chapter of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton by Julia Quinn. That's my reward. And then I'll, you know, I'll read a little bit of that and then I'll go back and forth. And that was delightful, except I didn't want to stop reading Romancing Mr. Bridgerton because it's so happy and cheerful. It's like bribing yourself to it was a hundred percent bribing like myself. Read, read bribing yourself. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so romancing Mr. Bridgerton is the fourth book in the series. It focuses on the third brother, Colin, who is home from his travels, but he's still, he's kind of having a, it's not even a midlife crisis. He's 33, but he feels loose ends. He doesn't know what he wants to do. His mom is bugging him to get married. Our heroine is Penelope Featherington, who has been in love with Colin since she was 16, their neighbors, his sister is her best friend. And he's never, he's, you know, been nice to her just because he's a nice guy in general. She's kind of a wallflower. She's now 27. And she's actually kind of enjoying it because she's not really a debutante anymore. No one expects anything. She's just a spinster. So she can kind of be herself. Her mom has started letting her wear whatever colors she wants. So now she can wear colors that make her look pretty instead of ones that don't. 
Um, and she's being a little more sassy and, and letting her personality come out. And Colin is like, wow, where have you been all my life? So they get together. This one is a little, there's less personal conflict. They have, there's some secrets in their lives that they kind of have to deal with, but it's more outside and not an internal conflict in their relationship. So it's a little less dramatic than some of the others, but, you know, continues with the sweetness and the, the delightfulness of the Bridgerton family. I also read the second book in a series. This is White Hot by Ilana Andrews. The, this is the one where it's the romance on the cover, but Marvel movie inside. And <laughs> it's true. This continued the theme. The cover is this couple looking all hot and sexy. And I mean, there is a little bit of that in there, but that is really not the focus. Nevada, our heroine, is a private investigator. So she's involved in another investigation that connects back there's an overarching you know evil empire developing that she's got to fight and this per particular investigation is connected to that mad rogan who's a super magician is comes back to help with the investigation and she's discovering her own powers are much greater than was originally suspected so she's learning to work with her magic and i like her she's very she's a very strong woman and stands up for herself and you know, kind of demands that he respect her as a person and he has tons of money. So he's kind of used to like, oh, I'll just buy this thing for you. And she's like, no, that's not how that, that's not how I work. So I really respect that. And I also feel, and this is going to sound a little weird, um, like the authors know what they're talking about in terms of the action series. Like, I mean, they get into gunfights because they still have guns in this world but they do seem to take it realistically. Like she goes through a lot of trauma when she ends up killing someone, but she like knows what she's doing. She works to make sure she's making good choices and she's, they're not just firing off 15 rounds and it's a six round gun. So like there's a level not of realism. completely gratuitous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like they, it feels like they know what they're doing and they're taking it seriously. So I, I like that. That is White Hot by Ilana Andrews. And there's, I think, at least three more books in this series. So we will see where it goes. Another kind of magical one was Spellbreaker by Charlie N. Homburg, which is a new series. I've read the previous series. I really liked it. So this is a new one. I was excited to see. I didn't enjoy it quite as much. It is London in, I think, 1895, but a London with magic. And only rich people can have, specifically rich men, can have magic. Because um, magic costs money, yeah. But there are people who can break the spells and that is not as well regulated. So our heroine is one of the spell breakers and she is doing kind of a Robin Hood job where she is working for a secret organization that rescued her as a child and sends her notes saying, hey, this rich guy is locking his servants in at night. Can you go undo the spells that are keeping them locked in? She's like, oh, of course. Darn these rich guys. She ends up meeting one of the rich guys. Obviously her organization is actually doing bad things. So she's kind of got to come to that realization and they've got to bring down the, you know, this kind of thing. So it was a fun book. I like the writing style and it's a good imaginative world that has been created. So that is Spellbreaker by Charlie N. Holmberg. The previous series was The Paper Magician and I really like that. So you could check that one out as well. And yeah, another romance. I wrote, <laughs> it must have been a tough week. Well, we already discussed that. It was a tough week. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert by Olivia Dade. 
This one was delightful. It was modern. It was fresh. I really enjoyed it. Marcus is a TV show star. Um, he's been starring in a show for about seven years. It's about to come to the end. So he's kind of trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. And he has found for his career, it has been helpful to portray what he calls kind of a golden retriever. So very willing, very nice, very amiable, but not very smart. And he is actually really a smart guy, although he does have dyslexia. And he has a secret online life writing fanfic based on his TV show, which if anybody finds out, could get him fired. He has a best friend online who also is involved in the fanfic, but they don't know who each other is in real life, obviously. She is April, who is a geologist, and she also does cosplay based on the show, and she is fat, and that is part of the plot. And she has kept these three parts of her life very separate and has recently decided that she's not going to do that anymore. She's going to be herself and... If other people have a problem with that, that's their problem. So she posts a picture on Twitter of herself in one of her costumes and gets some good reactions and obviously gets some really poor reactions. And one of the poor reaction people tags Marcus thinking he'll agree, like that it's ridiculous that this plus size woman is trying to be attractive. And Marcus sees it and is like, wow, she's hot. And says, you look great. Thanks for being a fan. Can I take you out when I get back to California? Oh, she lives in the Bay Area. So that was always fun. We like our, our San Francisco books. So they're actually, unbeknownst to them, have been best friends online for like two years. And now they're going on a date. And obviously they're going to find, you know, they're going to realize that they're online people, but he can't tell her about that. So lots of shenanigans, really great communication and consent and so many good conversations going on in this book and a good discussion about fat shaming and and how to think about these issues that were really helpful. It was, it was just a really delightful, delightful book. And I think she has a new one coming out. So I'm looking forward to that. And that was Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. I listened to ooh, book four in Inspector Gamache. So A Rule Against Murder by Louise Penny. It continues great. It continues having food conversations or food descriptions, which just drive me nuts. <laughs> this one was... I can't even remember. I like onto the fifth one now. So it's still a good series. Just start listening to them or read them. Yeah. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Another friend who has started reading or listening to these as well. And so we keep texting each other, like all the food descriptions. I think I was listening to one and I text her. was like, they're having profiteroles now <laughs> and pate oh with warm rolls. Why are they doing this to me? But I was kind of excited because the one I'm listening to now there was a murder, there was a body found in the bistro. So they had to close the bistro for a while. So there was a little bit less food description because no one could go to the restaurant. So, but no, it's opened up again. That's how we got the profiteroles. Also like the police are having this three course luncheon with wine and beer. It's like, okay, I want to, I want to be French Canadian. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Okay. But my first, my final one, also French, Perestroika in Paris by Jane Smiley, which is her latest. It's adorable. Oh. There's a racehorse who wins a race in Paris, and then her stall is open, so she's a very curious filly, so she wanders out and ends up by the Eiffel Tower, and she meets a dog and a raven and some ducks, and they all hang out, and then they meet a boy and a mouse, or a rat, and some people who are like, okay, horse, 
living at the Eiffel Tower. Why not? So it's really cute. Yeah, it was a really nice book. She's a beautiful writer. And this was just really sweet. And and so it's all told from the animals' points of view. You get get the different characters of, you know, a dog versus a horse and what they think about and what's important to them and, and how they view the world and the two different kinds of birds. And so I like that one. That one was not a slog. That one I recommend. And that is all of my books. Good stack. Yes. Great. Oh, and there was knitting. There was knitting in the Jane Smiley one because I think she is a knitter. So that was fun. Well, yeah. Profiteroles and knitting and books. Two different books, but yeah, good. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. I had a weird little assortment of books this week. One of them was called Snow by John Bainville. I have no idea why this landed in my queue and I'm not even quite sure why I finished it. It was getting great reviews as a mystery. It takes place in Ireland in 1957 and there it opens with this detective who comes out to this manor house where a priest is, is dead. And so then this, this Protestant detective has to unravel the death of a Catholic priest. And it is weirdly complicated and it goes to a very dark place that I should have seen coming, but possibly didn't honestly was in it for a while because it was about Ireland and describing Ireland. And I had been in a whole Irish fiction book thing for a fair bit. And in the end, I, I don't know that I would, I think people need to read the reviews of this and the the synopsis and see if it, if you really want to get into this one, it's touted as a mystery but I think it's got some difficult subject matter that people might not, people may want to pass on because there's so many other good books out there. And not that this isn't, it's incredibly well-written. I just think, not yeah. Not for everyone. Not for everyone. Yeah. And he has written a ton of books. Yeah. I think I've read some of his. I can't remember what they are, but I think he has is known for a particular series with a character and this is the first book in a long time that doesn't feature that particular character. It's getting great reviews and lauded and so maybe it's just not for me, which is fine. Then I read Beheld by Tara Shane Nesbitt, which is a curious book about Puritans landing in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it's like a decade after they first landed. So 1630s, I guess. And it's written from the women's perspective. And her, the author had come across some of the log entries from the, from the Puritan men, like the governors of that original colony in Plymouth. And it would say, we lost three cows to wolves and we beheaded 16 Indians and so-and-so was hanged for murder. It was so in brief and it didn't talk about the women who were there with all of these men to build a whole new community. And so the focus was on the women and what it was, what the crossing was like and how some of them left their children behind. 
and the hardships of living in this foreign, not as they knew civilization, you know, it was populated by Native Americans and what those interactions felt like from their perspective where they couldn't really defend themselves. And they also didn't see them as, as much of a threat as their husbands did in some cases and really very thoughtful and interesting perspective on, on the author's part. Yeah. Not, not an easy read just because it was not an easy thing to do, you know? So I really liked that book. Then I read The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. This was um, a book of the month selection. It takes place in present day and flashbacks to like 1800s England to an herbalist or apothecarist woman who was living in the middle of England and helping women with problems that men were trying to solve in really difficult ways that the medical community was using sort of barbaric practices or unhelpful things for, for problems that could be solved herbally, you know, like cramps or bleeding or what have you. So melding together the apothecary and, and her story with a present day story, which I wasn't as interested in because there was all of this present day drama that I see what the connections were in terms of plot line, but it wasn't as compelling, I guess, as the, as the 1800s narrative. So that's The Lost Apothecary. It's a really quick read though. And if you like to read about mudlarking and Victorian times and, and, oh, it features a librarian and, or a, a librarian who's specialty is historical maps. That all sounds kind of right up my alley. Yeah, I think it's a quick read and fun. You know, there was just a piece of the present day story that I had, I have discomfort around. I don't like to read about, and it's not a plot spoiler because it comes up right in the very beginning, but I do not like to read about infidelity. As I have stated on numerous occasions here on our podcast. This is true. Then I read Asymmetry, which is a novel by Lisa Halliday. Again, I have no idea how I got my hands on this book or how it was recommended. It's going to stick with me for a really long time. The structure was a little bit unique, and I think that it almost deserves a second read because there is there's a lot going on. The structure of the book and the general plot, I guess, is a 26, 27-year-old editor working in post-9-11 New York, and she is befriended and becomes the lover of a very well-known Pulitzer Prize-winning author, like multiple literary prizes. This guy is a legend, and she and he embark on this love affair. Neither of them are married, so I don't have a problem with any of that. They're affair and their relationship is really complex because of so many things. She's young, he's older, she's healthy, he's not. She's an editor just getting into her career. He's uber famous, published everywhere. People are always trying to get his his latest novel in there. You know, he's trying to get him to switch editors and it's just 
so the power dynamic between them is obvious and apparent at every turn. Is it based on real people? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, but I didn't even read about that until after the fact. And I don't think it's important. It's not what you would expect. It's atypical. Their dealings with each other are really kind of sweet and you don't really ever feel bad for her. And you don't really ever feel bad for him. Like they both, I don't know. It's really well done. Well wrought. That is the first section. And, and he gives her, and this is why I say it feels like it needs a reread. He says things to her about his writing process that interplay with the the following two sections. So the middle piece feels like an unrelated narrative by a Muslim man who is stuck in Heathrow Airport by customs and immigration. He's meant to have like a two-day layover and visit a a friend in London. And then he's going to continue on to visit his brother, I think in Iraq. He is an Iraqi American and he's spent most of his upbringing in America. He's educated in America, he ha- but he has dual passports. And so that's the flag. And his, so his narrative is a lot of back and forth uh, recollections about where he's going, what it's like to be this Muslim American and reflecting on this other room full of people who are being held at Heathrow for various reasons. And then the end of the book is an interview between the prize-winning author and the interviewer. He's meant to be summing up his life through music. So he's picked a couple, well, several, like a dozen albums to represent different points in his life. And because he's in his 70s or 80s, he's got lots of music that he wants to talk about and he he reveals so much more about himself through that interview, that short interview and music. And he did, then you learn about him the whole time that he is with the editor. It is, it's kind of stunning. And now that I'm talking it out with you, I really do think it is so worth a reread because there is so much more beneath the surface it does all end up connecting because it sounds completely disconnected when you're describing it but you seem very blown Um, away by it so it works it works let me say it like that and i think that it is pretty great i do like a wacky structure yeah it it makes sense and i'm not maybe doing it justice in my just my narrative description of it but i think it's worthwhile i do It's, it's kind of a new favorite and I wish that I could articulate why. Interesting. Yeah. It's fun to come across a book like that every once in a while. Yeah. So those are my books. Cool. Good stack. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, well, I guess I'd heard of John Banville, but I hadn't heard of any of the, any of the books. So that's always fun. I think you'd really, I think you'd like them all actually, even though Lost Apothecary. A lost apothecary was had my little sticking point. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, they did all sound really good, which is very mean of you because I have run out of space on my library hold list. <laughs> I have too many on hold and I have too many out, so I can't take any of them off hold. Yes. So I have many problems problem. in my life. I know, I know, I know. 
such a struggle. Well, I hope everyone else's reading life is going better than ours. Actually, my reading life is fine. It's just the, the library list is difficult. It's so limiting. <laughs> I know. Only 30 books can be on hold at one time. What's up with that? Why do they care how many I have on hold? Ah, it's people. All right. Well, I think that is it for us. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Um, so this should be a fairly... Nope, this is a, this episode features a cookbook review. I know, that's why I stopped. Um, (laughs) You want to say it again? I'm totally saying it again. I'm just trying to think what I want to say. Um, So this should be a fairly, oh my God, I'm sending the exact same thing. (laughs) Get it together, Monica. I'm so unprofessional. Oh wait, I'm not getting paid. Um, Yeah. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.